NBA Draft Week. Here we are, another big milestone in the off-season college hoops calendar uh, as we await Victor Wembanyama's inevitable selection as the number one overall pick in the 2023 draft. Lots of intrigue there, though. I've been doing some draft coverage this year over at SI. I appreciate your support on that. Uh, But we will break that down here later in this show. But, Brad, there always is one... Summer surprise, summer shakeup, and we had a big one this past weekend after narrowly escaping uh, a, a firing resignation retirement just over a month ago after homophobic comments. Bob Huggins' reign at the helm of the West Virginia program is now over after a DUI that saw him blow a 0.21 um, blood alcohol content. Um reportedly was was not sure what state he was in uh, in a car loaded with empty beer cans that his daughter claims were being recycled. Um, that's a very believable story, if you ask me. He wasn't drunk. That's, everyone drinks that much. Or, or she said 90% of people drink that much. Those empty beer cans in his car while he got his DUI were not consumed. He was bringing them, save the earth, and recycle them. In, in fairness, I, I can't imagine point two one is that different than Bob Huggins' usual BAC. Right, that's like everyone has known that like forever. Yeah, I mean, it is not new that Bob Huggins enjoys himself an adult beverage. Um, it is new that he did not have a driver. Um, he took a university-issued car, drove it from Ohio to Pittsburgh, did not seem to recall driving from Ohio to Pittsburgh and then blew a tire and was spun out in front of the Taylor Swift concert. So um, an interesting, an interesting end, a very sad end, frankly, look like there's jokes we made about that post and whatnot, but like it is legitimately very scary what he did. And it is very sad that a hall of fame coach does not get to go out on his own terms. This was probably the last year I think for hugs but I don't think that he – it is not becoming of the career he had that he has to go out this way this late, and it puts West Virginia in a very difficult spot trying to make a coaching hire here in June. You think he's going to have like a like a Bob Knight where like, like Bob Knight popped up at Texas Tech? You think Huggins will pop up at like – I don't even know. Nebraska or something? like. I don't know. I mean, someone said, like, oh, well, Patino is 70 and just got a job. Maybe Hugs could. I kind of doubt it, right? Like, he needs at least one year for his image to heal. Puts him a year older. I think it'd really have to be the right fit. I kind of think he's done. I mean, DUI is pretty serious. And like, it would like, kill someone. If it was one or the other, yes. Right. And that's why he would have kept his job. At West. I, I, Bob Huggins would have his job today if he didn't say the homophobic stuff. And Bob Huggins would have his, Mark, his job. Mark What's Few that? kept his job. Correct. Um, Darius Nichols, right? From Radford. Yes. Darius Nichols is no, not in contention, not in serious contention for the West Virginia job because he blew a higher BAC than, than Huggins and then was had a interlock system on his ignition um, 
to stop him from driving drunk again and blew positive for alcohol on that. So he's now due back in court. So Darius, like, like coaches generally can survive a DUI. They usually get suspended a few games and move on. And in Bob Huggins' case, you can survive a homophobic slur. You can't survive both in six weeks. You know who, who did not survive via DUI? Who? Tim Welsh. Oh. Yeah, that may have been before oh, your time. He got the Hofstra job. And then like a month later, he was like, yeah, falling asleep in his car at a stoplight or something. And they said, never mind. You're, you're not the coach anymore. So. But West Virginia's on the market now. It's a very good job. You know, I think it's probably inflated in the eyes of his fans. Base. Welcome to the club. It's every job. Um, but the resources are very good. The NIL is serious. Huggins was very, very highly paid. I don't think that number will be the same for a non-Bob Huggins coach. But, like, it's reasonable. Your, your job now is determined on how big your NIL war chest is. Correct. And they will be the coach will be paid well. The NIL war chest is very big. Um, the fan base commitment is there. The history is there, and it's in the best conference in college basketball. There's a lot. There's a lot to like here. And and, and I keep coming back to this because I keep seeing people say this. And I tweeted this last night. Everyone, the, the popular opinion seems to be, well, if you're just you know, what if if you can't get a slam dunk, you should just do an interim and wait for the year because there will be more coaches available in April. But like, 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 let's game this out. Like, name the candidates of coaches that you believe West Virginia should be in the mix for that would consider saying yes in April, but wouldn't say yes now. So there's obviously Dusty May because right. they've pushed so hard to keep those guys at a mid-major school. It, it would be really, I mean, that would that would be almost comical if he turned around and left. The answer um, is is like literally almost only Dusty May. But like. I saw Steve Forbes mentioned. I mean, Wake Forest should be in in contention for a tournament bid. You know, that team's pretty good. Maybe, you know, maybe he wouldn't want to leave that team late. I mean, right? But if, if I Steve think any, Forbes, any true mid-major coach is definitely going. Correct. Every mid-major coach except for Dusty May is taking the job. Right? Pat Kelsey's making a million dollars a year. If he's not taking it now, it's, he wouldn't have taken it in April. Right? Like. Yeah. You mentioned Forbes. I think Forbes is that's like a reasonable take. But like, also then Forbes is potentially staring down trying to get a job after four straight years without making the tournament. That's like, true. Yeah. Wake is not a great job, but like, Wake is a tough job. But like the idea that like he would even necessarily get it if he misses the tournament this year is like like I I think there's a pretty decent chance. Let's put it this way. I don't think the odds swing considerably in one direction or another for Forbes to take West Virginia based on what happens this year, right? If he's saying no in June, he's probably saying no in April. He's saying yes in June, he was going to say yes in April, right? Like, I, I just think it's an overblown narrative. And I also think, look, like, I, I think the idea that, like, oh, we, we give the interim the job, like Ron Everhart or Josh Eiler gets to coach the team for the year, and we keep the players. Like, I don't think that's happening either. I think well, regardless, I mean, if, there's going to be movement here. If West Virginia is really throwing around – the biggest bags of them all and like throwing all his NIL money around, then that probably should be independent of the coach. You would but think like the $600,000 or whatever for Kirk Risa 
is really only going to be available for West at at West Virginia, and there's really no reason to think that their big boosters would withdraw the money now that Huggins isn't the coach. I mean, so the, the question is truly, how unique is that money? And how much does this just invite the feeding frenzy? If like, all right, like Jet, let's say again, you said six hundred thousand for Kerr, right? Maybe it's six hundred thousand for Jesse Edwards, right? Maybe maybe no one was willing to pay six hundred thousand for Jesse Edwards in April when you know right Kentucky was sitting there in the Hunter sweepstakes and trying to keep Shebway like they were in multiple things they're like we're not paying this ridiculous amount of money now but maybe in June when Kentucky doesn't have a single upper class on the roster maybe that money is available right and it's kind of the the other thing is I mean looking at the West Virginia roster there's not a ton of and then kind of considering other rosters there's not like a ton of need for these guys elsewhere. Like it's June 20th. Most teams have, for, for for better or worse, have filled up their spots. Um, Kentucky's one of the few that would probably welcome a Jesse Edwards or a Trey Mitchell with open arms, maybe even a Kirk Risa too. But like, it's Illinois not like you can find like five logical landing spots for each player. No. Like you look at Paul Mulcahy, who's the best player in the portal right now. And he's considering like Washington. I saw him considering like Pittsburgh and you know teams that don't even necessarily need him that much. Like like he's an upgrade, obviously at, at both places. Like Gonzaga could use a third guard uh, behind Hickman and Nemhard, but like these teams don't have like a screaming need. You know any any team that needed a big combo guard so bad already got one two months ago. Right. Yeah, like Kerr, like Memphis apparently has could be interested. Um, Illinois would obviously be interested partying a point guard. Aren't right. they full? I've been told that if Illinois needs a scholarship, Illinois will have a scholarship. But we 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 can't let people do like this thing that St. John's is doing, where we're gonna like nil a four a fourteen spot. Like you don't need that's, fourteen scholarship. Players. That's not what I was told would be happening. For what it's worth. Mm. Given how given how the Illinois program has operated the last few years, you kind of expect that somebody's going to leave late. You know, it's just the way of the world. But there like is... Alabama needs a big. I mean, Texas could use another guard or a wing, but like there there, there aren't there aren't many spots out there. It might also depend on if Alabama gets Jaron Stevenson, which will have happened by the time this podcast you're likely listening to this podcast or not getting Jaron Stevenson. It seems like that one's Carolina or Bama. He's a reclass guy, really, really talented. I'm not sure how much he'll be a year one guy, um, but he, he's like ranked like 20th right now ish on 2024, which means in 2023 he's probably between like 30 and 40 somewhere. Yeah, but yeah, I mean there there will be a feeding frenzy here. Honestly, like the feeding frenzy could be just as fruitful, like working its way down, right? Like I mean we joke about it, but like all right, West Virginia has 13 scholarship players. Like what if you know, Seth Wilson decides he wants to transfer. There's a lot of there's a lot of Siennas out there that need a point guard or need a combo. You know, you can send like, Joe Toussaint back up to Iowa. Yeah, that would work. Like, we'll see we'll see what the movement is. I I, I my, my my gut is it will not be a mass exodus. There will be a significant departure or two, um, and then guys' own kind of rational self interest kicks in, right? Because think about it this way, right? Like. Let's say Jesse Edwards says, screw this, I'm leaving. 
West Virginia obviously has no way of easily replacing that. But Andy Kennedy or Jared Calhoun or, you know, whoever gets the job, Pat Kelsey, they're sitting there and they're like, all right, like we've got 11 guys still. We have 12 guys. It all of a sudden is no longer at all in the interest of like Muhammad Wag- Wagyu or James Aconquo to transfer. Because now there's myths. Right. Right. Like, and, and even if Edwards leaves and they go and they pick up um, Malcolm Dandridge or something, like they're still, you know, that's that's more manageable than playing behind Jesse Edwards. And, and you already agreed to play behind Jesse Edwards. So. Agreed. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, I don't Speaking think this will take that long. Well, oh, I, I was just gonna say, I don't think I don't think this job will take that long. Uh, I would imagine we'll have a resolution this time next week, maybe if not a little sooner. Ren Baker on the clock, though, for this one. Uh, it'll be very interesting to see where he goes from here. Um, the other coaching carousel note was Charlotte, which is elect- elected to go inter- interim for the year with Aaron Fern. They took some swings uh, at, at, at more established coaches. Bob Ritchie was one of them. Didn't get too far there. Um, they were in the mix with Todd Kowalczyk from Toledo, who could potentially be a West Virginia candidate. Um, Kowalczyk will not be taking that job at this point. So Aaron Fern gets it for the year. Not a ton of downwind from this. Charlotte did lose Deshaun Jackson, the Washington State transfer, uh, to the portal um, in the aftermath of the Sanchez move. Uh, he is now enrolling at Texas Tech, where he apparently needs a waiver, but should be eligible and will be a nice backup center option for them behind Warren Washington. Yeah, so just on... On Texas Tech, like if Jesse Edwards and Kirk Creasa didn't need waivers, I don't, you know, wouldn't wouldn't need waivers if they were to leave West Virginia. I don't know why Deshaun Jackson would need one. It was the same scenario, but he gives Texas Tech some more size. I'm not sure how much he's gonna play. Like he's coming back from like cancer, right? I believe. I don't think it was ever public what Deshaun Jackson was dealing with. I remember Miles Rice had. Oh, okay, he had it. Okay. But, I mean, he, he was out for a whole year with some sort of medical issue. And they have Warren Washington. They got Darian Williams at, at that four spot. And then they got Robert Jennings back. And they got Karan Lindsay coming in. So they have a bunch of different options in the front court. So Yeah, and let, I, I think there was a kind of clear hole at the five behind Washington. Like, Lindsay's more of a four. Williams is a three, four. Jennings is a three, four. They probably could have made it work. But Jackson, like an older guy. And then they also have the Emily Yahalo kid from Finland, who's like a skilled, skilled big. So they could have used one more like bruiser. And that's what Jackson is, especially in that system. Like they're not going to play super fast. It's obviously something that you know, if you think about the, the North Texas teams, they always have like that big wide body center, including Abu Usman, who's off to Xavier. So um, I think it makes a lot of sense. And now that uh, Jason Jackson left to go to, Overtime elite, they could use another ball handler. Yes, although I think Lamar Washington can play more on the ball than, on the ball this year, and Chance McMillan can handle it. So they they they, they do have one spot left in case COVID senior or something pops up that they can bring off the bench. Um, but but I wanted to touch on Memphis because they have had so many flirtations. With the Lawson family. It was four Lawsons. They all played at Memphis at some point. And it really did nothing for Memphis. 
Like, Diedrich was obviously a monster. And that was under Tubby. So they didn't win anything. And then he leaves and goes to Kansas. KJ had, like, a good year at Memphis, and then it was, like, completely off the map at Kansas. And then you get the next wave in. You get Chandler Lawson transferring in. After at Oregon, he was, like, a good small ball five. He was, like, very useful. And then Jonathan Lawson was a top, top 100 recruit. Now they're both out. I thought Chandler was going to start at center. He, he's visiting Bama now, I guess. He also visited Arkansas. No, sorry, Arkansas, you're right. Um, that was a miscue on my end. Just Arkansas. No, no Bama, at least so far. Um, so they, they got four Lawsons. Two were five stars, two were four stars. And they basically get nothing. Like, when the team was bad, the Lawsons were good. When the team was good, the Lawsons were buried on the bench. And now all four of them have come and gone, plus the father on the staff, uh, with just, like, a complete missed opportunity. Yeah, just just weird, like, overall. Very strange. I don't quite understand. Like, I Memphis has kind of always been this, like, weird influx roster. Like, if you recall, two years ago, they got Duran and Amani back-to-back in August. Like, they're never done. But, like, it – I mean, look, like, they're talented – but they still like don't know what's happening with DeAndre Williams. Need to make sure that David Jones graduates. Need to get Nick Jordan a waiver. They have one returning player right now. It's Jaden Hardaway. They're sort of in the mix to keep Malcolm Dandridge, which seems like it'll probably happen, but like hasn't happened yet. And it seems kind of in flux based on the idea of like, will DeAndre Williams be there? They currently have one scholarship if Williams is there. They have none if he's not. They're supposedly in the mix with some of these potential West Virginia guys. They're in the mix with with other with Jordan Brown, supposedly, who might not be eligible. Like, it's just a circus. It's like yeah, a legitimate circus. Jaden and Ashton aren't on scholarship, right? So they really have four right now. Oh. No, I think Jaden is on scholarship. Maybe I'm wrong. I thought I thought the head coach's son was on scholarship. but that's, I don't know. I, but, you know, they, they can do a lot of maneuvering. Yes, um, I'm sure they can. But, but like, yeah. big picture, though, right? Like, how sustainable is it to keep doing this, right? The year before, lose Jalen Duran, Lester Quinones, Tyler Harris, Landers Nolly, Josh Minot, and Imani Bates, and Earl Timberlake. The year before, you lose from that team Boogie Ellis, DJ Jeffries, Musa Cisse, like, Damian Blass. Like, one, yeah, like, the amount of talent that has gone through this thing since Penny got there is crazy. But number two, like, I just don't see how it's sustainable to every year lose your entire team. Like, it is not like, – it is one thing if Memphis is losing, oh, our, you know, our two best players are going to leave. Like, consistently, they have turnover with transfers, turnover with, with, with guys just dipping out and going pro. They have these guys who are, like, in flux until, like, July, right? Like, I'm so confused. The whole DeAndre Williams thing. DeAndre Williams is still in the draft. DeAndre Williams, to my knowledge, like like he did an NBA workout after the June 11th deadline. So that means he's in the draft. Correct? Um, he, yes, or else they're going to suspend him a couple games, right? Theoretically, yeah. I mean, we don't even know that he's going to be, be eligible to begin with. Like, what? Like this whole thing is like complete banana land. Like I, 
I've seen a couple player, a, a couple tweets of like, oh, so and so is not in the portal anymore because he has no has no eligibility. Like, Correct. shouldn't we know <laughs> who no, has no, eligibility it, and who doesn't? It is, it, is, it is ridiculous, by the way, that that like they're they, they come like you just walk into compliance, say I'd like to be in the portal, and they have to put you in the portal. Like they don't have to consider like, no, you're not not gonna be eligible. I mean, looking at DeAndre Williams here, he didn't go to to a JUCO or anything, right? No. So he has one more year left. No, he does not. Why not? So DeAndre Williams grew up in Houston, was this like highly rated recruit. The reason why he's 27 now is because he didn't enroll in college until he was like 21. He was like a 21-year-old freshman because I think he was caught up. I don't think it was prime prep, but it was something along that line, right? Like he went to this like weird, sketchy prep school, got caught up in it, and he lost a year of eligibility because of how long he was in high school after graduating. Right, because on his on his basketball reference page, it just has okay, he was at Evansville for one year, but I think he was at Evansville for two years. One he just sat out, right? Yes. So he played one year at Evansville, then he played three years at Memphis. That first year at Memphis being the COVID season doesn't count. So in theory, he has one more year. But if you're saying he lost his year for going to a, a fake school, then, then then he's done. Correct. Like, how do we not know who's not eligible? Like, that, 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 that doesn't make any sense. So currently, he's not eligible. Like DeAndre Williams is out of eligibility. He is currently okay. So 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 here's what happened. DeAndre Williams was entering his senior year of high his senior year of high school in fall of 2015. He withdrew and in 2016 earned his high school degree via homeschool. So he graduated high school a year before I did via homeschool. He didn't play anywhere in 2016-17. Then he went to a prep school in 2017-18. And because and for that year, that was that counted as his first year of college because he was too far removed from high school. Then he was a partial qualifier because he didn't qualify yet. He did so. He was ineligible in 2018-19, and then he played 1920 in at Evansville. Correct. Yes. So that's that's the story. Again, so they're, they're they're trying to get that that year of prep school kind of like retroactively flipped to be high school. Correct. Correct. He really has no problem being the oldest good oldest dude in the room. DeAndre, dude, like you're really good. You can play anywhere. You can play in the G League. You can play NBL, Europe. Like you will have a high level professional basketball career. But move on, pal. Get a job. You've well, been in. No, you you don't want to get a job. You want to stay in college as long as you can. But I mean, the the FedEx money's got to be better than the NBL money. But I guess you, you ever would know. think. You would think. But yeah, DeAndre, definitely don't get a job. Definitely stay in college as long as you can. Like we saw with like Russell Harrison uh, last year, or uh, like 
Actually, you're not eligible because he took a year off or something. We got Trey Woodbury, who played in like two conference tournament games in a whole season. I mean, one of the all-time blunders. He could be cashing checks right now at the high major level. So Sienna had Jordan Kellier, who lost a high school year to at, while he was at Redemption Christian Academy because he moved here from Jamaica. He then went through the waiver process this spring to get another year and is transferring to a Division II school to play that year. So maybe that's the precedent. But The NCAA just loves their waivers. They love paperwork. The NCAA is addicted to paperwork. But yeah, Memphis is in like such a weird spot. There's literally no like th- this team currently has one big man if if DeAndre's not eligible. If they get DeAndre eligible and they all of a sudden like get Jordan Brown, which is the current like r- rumor on the street, if Jordan Brown's eligible and Nick Jordan is eligible, then they all of a sudden have three bigs, which is okay because you can move Jonathan Pierre to the three. But then you got to f- sit Tiafal Lenard and bring him off the bench. You've still got J.J. Taylor. Oh, by the way, Mikey Williams still has this gun charge looming. We have no idea if that'll stick. Like, this is mad. mad this is nonsense. I mean, their their starting lineup is going to have Caleb Mills and David Jones together, two guys that are just gunners. I mean, this is just a this is a wacky team. It's very very bizarre. I like. Jordan I, doesn't I, need a waiver though, right? He didn't. Was uh, he somewhere before Temple? I have him in yellow, so I believe he does need a waiver. Maybe I'm tripping. He was not somewhere before Temple. I'm confused. He's good. But yeah, the wacky. Just kind of a a step backwards or something tangentially West West Virginia related. Andy Kennedy, he he would definitely leave UAB for for West Virginia. Have to imagine, yeah. Their team could be good. I mean, I took a gander at the JUCO rankings for the first time, and they have the number two and, like, the number seven JUCO guys in the country. Um, plus, yes. they got all these high major transfers coming in. They have Alejandro Vasquez, who was at St. Bonaventure and put up, like, insane numbers this year at one of the good JUCOs. I think he was at the Salt Lake City community. Um, but he put up, like, he was – you know, and again, part of it, like you have to remember, yeah, like he was like an okay player at St. Bonaventure. He played like, like he was like probably like a Mac level player at St. Bonaventure. But in his one year at Salt Lake, he averaged 18 points, three rebounds, three assists, steal and a half per game, and shot 54% from the field and 40% from three. Yeah, I mean, the fact that Mark Schmidt let him play off the bench is a pretty big endorsement. Yeah, he must be really good. Um, but they also but have Eric Gaines. They have James White and Barry Dunning, whoever their fans. JV and Davis is still kicking around. They have Will Shaver as a backup five. There's a lot. And then Chris Chris Coleman was the number two JUCO guy in the country according to the rankings. And Lindenberg was like <laughs> seven or eight. I don't even have this Coleman guy on my depth chart. At least uh, he he was committed to. Bizarre. But. Let's see if UAB has a roster yet. UAB roster in basketball. Either way. Um, yeah, good, good. It would be interesting to see what they would do. My guess is UAB would stick internal for the year. Give it to Ryan Cross, associate head coach. One of the good guys in the profession. Really, really well liked. 
will be a big jump to have him be the full-time head coach in the AAC, but they have a chance to be pretty good. And if he keeps the roster together, he's got a shot. I'm seeing no roster, so I think we're we're just stuck with uncertainty we're, there. We're in a holding pattern there. Uh, how about uh, Zach Clements reneging on Santa Barbara? I guess maybe the myths of the Santa Barbara NIL were overblown. He's he's going back to Kansas where he's going to redshirt it, I guess? This was bizarre. Zach Clements made a lot of sense. Like When I first heard Zach Clements going back to Kansas, I was like, oh, that's really logical. Kansas doesn't have a backup center. He's been in the system. He knows the place. He could play a little bit more and either get to stay or he proves he's not good enough and he transfers the next year. One-time transfer model whatnot maybe he's able to transfer to a higher level instead now he's coming back but he's redshirting so he's not playing the year you only have 10 other scholarship guys and no true backup center but is going to play when they still theoretically have hunter Dickinson, still theoretically have kj adams and are now going to add presumably one to two centers in the 2023-24 right because with with his shooting i mean he's a perfect fit next to adams Good for right. Dickinson, yeah. It makes no sense that he's redshirting, but this whole thing was weird. Like, I always thought he was high major. I don't know what happened that, like, he basically had no interest other than Providence and Santa Barbara. Santa Barbara, so. I, I really wanted him at, at, at Providence. I thought he was a perfect fit next to their bigs. I loved him he, in high school. He needed that shooting. Uh, but, but imagine if he committed to Providence and then on June 20th it was like, yeah, never mind. <laughs> like... We would be so screwed. You'd have to play Rafael Castro at the five. I'm the only only one on the planet who wants to do that, apparently. Um, oh, I, I I listened to a brief interview with Archie Miller with Kevin McNamara. And he, he did the uh, Doc Rivers with Mr. Courtright. He had a great game against you, URI to open the season. I want that guy. Is uh, is Anthony Harris ever happening? No. That's what I thought. Um, just, just quickly on U19, which is starting this weekend. Um, we do have a roster now. The U.S. team is Mark Armstrong, Tobey Awaka, Omaha Ballou, Kylan Boswell, Miles Colvin, who's off to Purdue, Eric Daly, West or er, uh, Oklahoma State, Dylan Harper, top 2024 kid, Ian Jackson, top 2024, Trey Johnson, top 2024, Van Allen Lubin from Vanderbilt, Asa Newell, who's top 2024, Cody Williams off to Colorado. Um, we also have a Canadian roster, um, which is a solid group, not one of their best. In my opinion, like we've seen slightly more talented Canadian teams, but I think we've also seen more talented USA teams. Um, that Canadian roster includes Aiden Holloway, who's off to Auburn. Um, it includes Elijah Fisher, who's transferring to uh, to DePaul from Texas Tech. It includes Jordan Dumont, who's off to Villanova. Michael Nowako, who's going to Miami. Uh, and then some like mid-major guys. David Simon, who's going to San Diego. Uh, Surreal Martinov, who played college basketball this past year at, I believe, Georgia Tech and is transferring to Eastern Michigan. Um, 
also have Jahari Williamson, who's going to Valpo, Xavier Lee, who's a sophomore at Princeton, who's a good player, Boo Boo Benjamin, who's going to Tarleton State, TJ Hurley, who was all America East freshman team this year at Vermont, and Michael Ev Begaru, who's going to Siena uh, in, in the fall. They also have seven foot six, 2025 recruit Olivier Ryu, which would be very exciting to watch. Here's Purdue audition tape. I mean, Zach Eady once upon a time was a starting center for U19 Canada. Um, that 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 starting lineup, yeah, it was it was Ryan Emhard, it was Benedict Matherin, Caleb Houston, Omax, and Edie. And then off the bench was Elijah Fisher, Javante Brown Ferguson, a few other guys I can't remember right now. But that was that was a loaded Canada team. That was they, awesome. yeah, on the U.S. team. Yeah, Mark Armstrong started on U18 last year and supposedly was like the best player at the tryouts this year. Um, so, so that could pretend for a nice uh, a nice sophomore season at Villanova coming off the bench there. Um, and then Eric Daly was on the team last year as well. This this USA team is not that talented, but like it's it is really just built to like have its big men just throw bodies around. Like Awaka and Eric Daly are just gonna like bully people. Yeah, I was I was surprised that Uday didn't make it. I feel like they needed some you know that big huge dude, but Awaka. How 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 big is Awaka? I thought he was more of a four. He's six nine, but he's oh. big as shit. I didn't realize he was that big. He's really, really big. Big and he's a monster rebounder. That it does say something that, that that he beat out Uday. I mean Uday was a five star McDonald's All American. Going to TCU and Awaka Figure he's he's got that backup center spot locked up, I guess, for Tennessee, and probably playing some four too. Yeah, Tennessee loves him. He's gonna get on the floor. Um, I'm excited to see Miles Colvin in this setting. Um, kind of an X factory type piece for Purdue. Could step into like the Brandon Newman role. They could really use like another athletic wing who could play. Uh, also excited to see Boswell uh, and Armstrong, who you mentioned earlier. So should be a good evaluation. Always is. Um, also we'll see how heavily recruited it is. I would imagine that, um, teams on the lookout for talent will be recruiting pretty heavily from the U18 and U19, U18 and U20 Euros, as well as the U19 World Cup, uh, as we fill in some of these scholarships here late. Minnesota just got somebody today from, I'm not sure if, if he's going to be suiting up in, in U19, but they got Christunas Kenyas. From Lithuania, um, and then the guy from UCF, he he's still out there, right? Pay Pay Drags, who uh, decommitted. Padajimas, yeah, he's going to he visited Dayton and BYU. We'll see where he ends up. I need to fill in my Minnesota depth chart update, but was that a Gavoni? No, that was just their uh, beat writer. Okay. Gavoni's too too laser focused on, on on the draft at this point. It is so funny. And Gavoni's a very nice guy. I've been a few times. Works really, really hard. It is really funny watching the guy on TV. It's just so clearly, like, not necessarily his lane. And, like, watching him try to navigate that world is really, really funny. Like, there's a vi- he was, like, sometimes it sounds like he's, like, reading a script. And then earlier, like, I was watching a clip of him talking about, um, he was talking about Ryan Rupert. And he was like, 
six foot six with a seven two wingspan and like flashed his arms out like he was measuring a wingspan. I was like, we know what the wingspan is, pal. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I would be equally as as bad on TV. Ah, uh, yeah, poor, him and Woj, kind of a tough ESPN duo. Did you see that Woj isn't going to be tweeting picks anymore unless they're, like, really big? I know. He's letting Shams win. He basically said, um, I don't don't have anything to prove anymore, basically. That was his point one. And point two was that he gets so many retweets on draft night that it, like, fucks up his phone. The other funny thing about it is, like – realistically all he's doing by tweeting out the draft picks like it's not like a it's not like a huge value add for anyone it's not a value no, add for ESPN. It's, not value add. it's literally like he's literally doing it just to like say he can do it the pick is literally coming in in like 30 seconds it's he's literally like, just like to prove to people haha i know shit before you do it's like not even like the trades or like the free agency signings where he's like maybe a day or two two days before the official announcement he's like 30 seconds before Adam Silver gets up there and reads the name. They do have to fix, though, the whole, like, someone got, so-and-so got traded, but we're going to pretend he's on a different team. It's so stupid. Like you, well, I think it was Perk last year where he was, like, all, all jumbled up because they, they're, they're, like, showing him wearing, like, the Warriors hat or something, and Perk's, like, talking about him on the Warriors, but actually he's already been traded on Twitter three times, and now he's on the Pistons. And then there's the classic Moses Moody moment. Moody Moody? Moody Moody? The uh, Warriors, I guess, are, are done taking high school fresh or uh, college freshmen. Smart. They did three in a row with Moody, Kaminga, and Wiseman, and they're done, I guess. They, they want an old dude. Seems like only Moody has like even partially panned out. Kaminga started some games, I think, last year in the playoffs. but They just uh, seem open to moving him. Yeah. yeah, now he's, like, completely out of the rotation, and and they already traded Wiseman. I mean, Wiseman was, like, an, all, an all-time validation moment for draft Twitter. Yes. That was, like, a, a legacy moment. But that was because, a big – that was a huge miss by the Warriors organization. Like, think about how good they would be. I mean, regardless, like, LaMelo, because I guess LaMelo went three and Ant went – you know, it, 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 like, can you imagine, like, if the Warriors had, just like, stumbled into Anthony Edwards? Yeah. I mean, you know, the obviously everyone had him going whatever two or three Wiseman, and I remember seeing draft Twitter be like, no, he should be ranked 35th. I was like, whoa, all right, I could see like 11th or 12th, and 35th. Come on, guys, and really, he should have been like 35th. It was an all an all time win for draft Twitter. Um, that and a uh, John Morant, but, like they were in on John Morant. That's true. But, I mean, they were in on him early, and then everyone was like, yeah, this guy's really good. Yeah. So, anyway, let's get into the draft, unless there's other stuff we need to get to in college. I feel like we've pretty much covered it. Um, I'll uh, scroll through, and at the end, we'll add anything that we have to add. So, big picture on the draft. It is functionally a one-person draft because it's Victor, and then it is a three-person draft because it is Scoot versus Brandon Miller for two, and whoever goes second will doesn't go second will go third. 
And then everyone, as everyone says, the draft begins at four, where Eamon Thompson seems to be the favorite to go to Houston, but you know, maybe some questions there fit-wise, depending on what happens with James Harden. Um, there's the kind of jumble then of wings and forwards with Cam Whitmore and Jairus Walker. Um, you've got the Wizards who are one to watch as they begin their tank at eight. Um, a lot of moving parts here in the top 10. I guess, Brad, we haven't really get, gotten on the record with a lot of these takes. I have to a degree because of my draft writing. Um, but I am on Team Scoot over Brandon Miller. Like, obviously, fit-wise, you could argue for Charlotte to take the wing instead of the point guard. But I understand the warts with Scoot. I just think the value is really, really high if he turns into, you know, 80% of what he could become. Um, he is really explosive. He is really fun to watch. And, and as much as I like Brandon Miller, I think there are some concerns uh, in terms of his ability to – to consistently get downhill. Like I, I think wired wise, like, like Brandon Miller is a monster. Like that dude, like regardless of why the circumstances were the circumstances, I, I have not seen like a Kobe type mentality game. Like the Brandon Miller one against South Carolina, the day after all this, you know, shit hit the fan with the, um, you know, the Darius Miles situation. I, I haven't seen anything like that in college in a long time. Like, I guess South Carolina sucked, but he full-on dominated the game. Took over. Everyone else looked shell-shocked. He was wired different. Like, I, I think Brandon Miller's chance to have a really good career. I just think, to me, I would lean towards Scoot over Brandon Miller. I think I would, too. I think he's more of a dynamic creator. And I think it's easier to get, like, a good point guard. But I, I think it's pretty hard to get a great point guard. Like like a true differentiator at point guard. You know those those guys don't don't come along every year even. You know it f- feels like every year in the recruiting rankings people are saying oh oh it's a weak point guard class oh it's a weak point guard class. And basically any point guard that can't shoot has been exposed. So like your Trayvon Devals or Alfred Paytons or Chris Dunn's or you know guys who in a previous era might still have been like monsters. They're they're kind of getting phased out with that style of play. So I I think it that scoot type of point guard who can score off the bounce, he can shoot, he can pass, he's super athletic. I think that's that that could be even more scarce than like a jumbo playmaking wing. Right. Well, I, I guess here's my thing, right? Like the best version of Scoot looks like what? Like a Derrick Rose type. I mean, in terms of like level of right, like Rose maybe a style, but like why why couldn't he be like a uh, the level of player of like a Lillard, you know, like a top ten guy in the NBA? Right, but why couldn't Brandon Miller be Jason Tatum? That is true. I mean, I I, I, I guess the, the, the one knock I've yeah. seen against Miller is that yeah. finishing at the rim. I don't I don't remember who they compared it to. Maybe it was Tatum, but there was a a player. This is from the maybe the Zach Lowe pod that I listened to last week, where there was a player who they said couldn't finish at the rim. Maybe it was Tatum, and he shot like forty something percent at the rim, and then Brandon Miller shot like thirty percent at the rim. So he was like even bad at the rim compared to other people who were bad at the rim. Right. My 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 question was like. 
do you think it's more likely Scoot Henderson turns into like a Derrick Rose level impact guy, like peak Derrick Rose, like close to an MVP, or that J or that Brandon Miller becomes like a Jason Tatum? I think it's probably more likely. A... Hmm. I'll say Scoot. I think Scoot too. I think there's probably slightly higher floor, right? Like I think with with Miller. Miller, worst case, he's like a big shooting wing. Michael Porter, yeah. Right, that's a good that's a good player. But that might even be a max player. But with Scoot, I think the floor is a little bit lower. But it'll be interesting. What are your thoughts on the Thompsons? Well, see, on this next group, the whole pre-draft process, it was Cam Whitmore is killing workouts. He's so explosive. Cam Whitmore is killing workouts. All of a sudden, like two days ago, it's, oh, Cam Whitmore's had bad workouts. He's sliding. Feels like a smokescreen to me. It is bizarre. Now, I don't know if they'll go Whit- Whitmore at four, or maybe even Whitmore's camp put the smokescreen out so he doesn't go four. He goes, whatever, five or six. Because um, the Rockets seem like kind of a toxic place to play right now. You know, uh, when Yana cheered when they didn't get the first pick. He, he, he like did, did like a celebration on a lottery night. Um, so so maybe they do go Whitmore, but um, the the Thompson twins, I mean, they're just so athletic. I mean, they're like freakishly athletic, like top top tier athletes, and and that's going to keep them in, in the mix, um, playing that wing spot. You know, talking about a high floor. It's just overtime elite. I mean. People are trying to give Overtime League credit. I'm not sure how much credit um, we should be putting into that program. But they're, so they're, they're, they're claiming guys develop and, and, and whatnot, and I guess we'll have to see on that one. But my personally, you know, you, you know me. I would, I would rather have Cam Whitmore than the uh, Thompson Twins or Taylor Hendricks or Jairus Walker or any of these guys. My, my take with – I think Amen Thompson is, like, immensely talented. I think the floor is really low because he's – you're coming from such a different system and he's coming from just like a lack of game reps at like a high, high level. Um, but I think the thing that's interesting, like from what I've been told, you know, I've watched some of the scrimmages, but like I've, I rely a lot with the Thompsons on, or not with the Thompsons, but like on OBT, OTE generally on like what people say and like people I trust, like the OTE against OTE games are supposedly pretty good. It is when OTE plays these like second and third rate prep schools which are like the rest of the quote unquote OTE league, which is, you know, where like Jordan Burks and all these guys are like putting up these numbers. It is those games where things get like kind of out of hand uh, and it gets really, really sloppy and ugly. Um, because the OTE team is so much better than the prep school teams. Yeah. And there's like a lack of organization to it. Like there's, it's not that competitive, right? Like who actually cares about like, the OTE championship, you know? Like the teams are, you know, it's it's just not not a great it's not a great setting on a great level, whereas at least the OT guys are kind of working towards a common goal. Um, I I think I would take Amen Thompson at four, just roll the dice because again, if you get like a six seven six eight long athletic point guard who can like do everything, that's a monster player. Like that's that's a huge deal and it's worth the risk to me even if I don't feel like Houston is the ideal organization for him to develop in right now because of some of the stuff you suggested. I think Asar Thompson, to me, like, the floor is a little bit higher, but, like, I'm a little bit more skeptical. I think the thing that's, like, kind of concerning 
is like one i find it funny like it's it's, it's funny why like the narratives come in right like all these people were sitting there being like oh brandon miller is actually old like that was like the common trope when like draft analysis began this what? Brandon Miller's a college, you know, he could be a sophomore. Like, he's older than Kobe Bufkin. Like, this is stupid. Well, he was at least doing it in the SEC. Like, Amen Thompson is 20. He was playing high school games all year. That's insane. <laughs> like, that's, I get that's, it. That's a year away from me and DeAndre Williams. Yeah. Like, and, and, and look, like, I, I, I said this to someone in the NBA world yesterday. I would feel a lot better about the Thompson twins evaluation, whether it's good or bad and different, if they had been able to play 17 U UIBL, which all the future OT guys will, because they'll be on scholarship instead. And with the NIL, instead of being in a, you know, because the Thompsons were the first OT kids, one of the first and didn't get to be eligible for anything. They didn't get to play UIBL and, you know, Shaden Sharp, for instance, balled out at UIBL and that's his high level of competition. Like people love to like trash AAU basketball, right? Like that's the com that's the trope, right? Oh my gosh. AAU basketball. It's so sloppy. It's so messy. Like the reality that people think about as AAU basketball, everyone kind of in it for themselves one-on-one, like sloppy temp, you know, fast pace. That's a lot more close to like an OTE league game than it is to what Peach Jam is. Like Peach Jam is a legitimately very high level of basketball. It's very competitive. The level of talent on the floor is tremendous. The coaching is pretty good. Like, you know, it, it's multiple gyms. It's messy. But, like, oh, like, I would feel a lot better if I could have watched Amen Thompson dominate the rest of the players in his class. Like, Amen Thompson just hasn't even played, like, super high-level games in a while. If Amen Thompson were played Peach Jam, even last year, which would have been, I guess, a year off of what we normally be, it would have been interesting. Well, here, here, right. Team Team Takeover, which is one of the best teams in EYBL for this yeah. year, they have seven top 115 recruits. This is team. the 2024 25 team. Yeah, so they have seven top 115 guys in the class of 2024, plus a top like 60 guy in 2025. Like that is an immensely talented group. Of guys, right? So they have um, Patrick Ngangva, who's a top 40 recruit. Darren Harris is going to Duke. Donnie Freeman's going to Syracuse. They're both like top 50-ish. Um, Isaiah Abraham, the top 75 recruit. Uh, Garrett Sundra and Daquan Davis are top like 115-ish. Um, and then they have one more guy I can't remember. And then they have Nike Lewis, who's a top 60 recruit in 2025. So, like, that's that's one team's worth of talent. That, that's that's incredibly talented. And then people like to rag on AAU coaching. But, like, why is AAU coaching any worse than, like, the chemistry teacher being the high school coach? Like, I know personally my AAU coach was, like, a, like a very knowledgeable, very good coach. But I don't know. Gets a bad rap. Um. So working our way way down the board, I am really excited about Anthony Black. 
Like, I think that guy is like, going to have a really good NBA career, full stop. Think about what he's accomplished already. Think about how productive he was in a bad situation in Arkansas in terms of not a lot of spacing, in and out players around him. And think about the archetype that he fits into, right? Like the Josh Giddy, the Tyrese Halliburton, these big guards who can defend and pass and play multiple positions. Both those guys have overachieved in the league because of their IQ and their ability, you know, fearful to game, feel for the game. And both those guys have scored better in the NBA than people anticipated them being able to score, right? Tyrese Halliburton being a really highly impactful NBA player, it's not that surprising to me. Tyrese Halliburton already being a 20-point-per-game NBA scorer efficiently is surprising to me. Anthony Black has questions about his touch, questions about whatever. But that dude, like, I think he's just going to find a way. And, I mean, I would consider drafting him as high as, like, I, I don't know that I would draft him fourth if I could get him in Thompson. I don't think the fit necessarily is there for him to go fifth with the Detroit team that already has Cade and already has Jaden Ivey. But I'd at least think about it. But, like, sixth on, I love AB. Like, I'm super in on that. It, it sounds like people have him going eighth to the Wizards. That, that, that seems to be the... But the Jazz seem interested in jumping up to get him. He's a Jazz of 9 and 16, I believe. Orlando has 6 and 11. So those are, um, you know, some teams that could move in a direction. Um, even, I mean, the Pacers have seven. Yeah, you could trade seven for nine and 16 or something. Um, yeah, yeah, he 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 showed a lot more shot making ability this year at Arkansas than I would have expected coming in. You know, watching him at U19, he was like strictly a glue guy. Just been making defensive plays all over the court, um, kind of like a better, ver- a better and bigger or better and taller version of Isaac Likely. Uh, but then at Arkansas, you know, he was scoring and pick and roll. He was hitting jumpers. He was the full package. Um, and as as you said, the uh, Santa Clara, Jalen Williams, and Halliburton, and you know, a lot of these bigger guards are finding a ton of success. So that is paving the way for Anthony Black being top ten and. Uh, Seems like Musk can, can can sell that, and that can counteract the uh, Nick Smith slide. Yes. Nick Smith seems like he could fall to maybe 20 at the latest. That feels like kind of a floor for him. I think, like, Miami would be a great fit for Nick Smith. Um, I also think, and we didn't mention this before, but, like, Nick Smith was with Clutch all of this past year. And it was no secret that Arkansas was not happy with how things played out with Nick Smith being kind of structurally healthy, but not like 100% and going off and leaving the team to go to L.A. and rehab with Clutch. And all of a sudden, now we're doing Aaron Bradshaw, and it seems like the same thing. Like Aaron Bradshaw is telling people he's healthy and Clutch is telling Shams that he's a broken foot and is out like six months. And he was, like, playing basketball, like, that day at, like, the Kentucky camp. It, it, you know, it was, like, a youth camp. And he's, like, running around, shooting the ball, as Shams tweeting that he has a broken foot and he's out. So that, that, that adds to the intrigue there. But it seems like Clutch has just so much power. And these players, in, in terms of Clutch's client list, I'm sure that they're toward the bottom Right, like they're less valuable than the current players in the NBA. Obviously, LeBron being at the top of the valuable list, 
but like Aaron Bradshaw and Nick Smith don't have a lot of leverage over their agent, I assume. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, on on Kentucky, I mean, Casey Wallace is what he's he's in that kind of late late lottery group right now, maybe even a little lower than that. Yeah, Kaysen seems like it could drop a little. Chris Livingston supposedly has a second round promise, which could just be for a two way contract. He's terrible. The first time I watched him, I was watching um, Quante Berry's AAU team play Chris Livingston's team. And it had that team had Chris Livingston, it had um, Devin Ree, it had, I think, Mikey Williams, maybe, too. Like, he had a, a, a fair amount of uh, notable guys. And my impression of, of uh, Livingston was he was just like a bigger Wayne Selvin. Like, he's just like this huge dude that's just like firing jumpers. It's like, get downhill, like, go to the rim. Um, and Kentucky is, freshman year was up and down. I'm sure if he came back, he would, he would have been a monster this year, but. Yeah, he should have come back. He would have been a first-round pick next year if he had come back, I think. Yeah. Even though I don't even like his game. And, oh. and then Toppin and Oscar are probably long shots. Toppin better chance than Oscar, but. To make to make it in the NBA? Yeah. I don't know. This I think so Oscar, huge. Yeah, that's true. I would say Oscar still has a slightly better chance than Jacob Toppin. I guess it depends on if if he can ever figure out this pick and roll stuff. Because if you're exposing in college in pick and roll, you are certainly exposing the NBA. That is true. And they're not going to give you a chance as a 13th man, you know, when you're exposed. But. Um, kind of continuing our way down this draft board, Kobe Bufkin seems to be getting a lot of attention, potentially as high as eight to the Wizards. Seems He's like very young. Won't drop. Yeah, won't drop out of the lottery now. Where, where, what do you, how do you how do you feel about this, Brad? Like, yeah, the age thing is big deal. And I and look, Kobe Bufkin was legit awesome down the stretch. Like, I saw him two or three times in the month of um, February and March, and like, I mean, holy cow, he was he was terrific. Like, his overall impact on the game was immense. And I think if you just like ripped up, if you like ignored like what happened in freshman year, and you just say this was a McDonald's All-American, like if you take the freshman year as a redshirt year, and you say, all right, McDonald's All-American who comes in at 19 years old and is like good to start the year, and then down the stretch, like if you look February 1st onward, Kobe Bufkin averaged, uh, Kobe Bufkin averaged 17 points, six rebounds, three assists, and a steal on 52% for the field and 45% for three. You like yep, top ten pick, no question. Right, and he's the agent freshman too, which is the, the huge thing. He's a lefty, right. shoots the lights out, can play the ball it, with the ball or without it. Yeah, so he's he's a great fit on on almost any team, whether it be coming off the bench or starting. You know, you you could put him next to like any type of point guard with the, his shooting ability. Uh, I think he's pretty long too, if I remember correctly. Yes. I think he has a good wingspan. And then it's just so crazy that Michigan had two first-round picks and a guy who wants to be on the Mount Rushmore transfers. I'm not sure if I'm letting him in. I'm not sure if he's better than Omer Year at seven. Um, and uh, Hunter Dickinson, and they still made the NIT. But I saw John John Hollinger was saying, like, he is completely out on Jed Howard. Like, he has 
he, he can't see any of the appeal there. I, I I've said this before, but if Jet Howard's name was Jet Smith, he'd not be a one and done. Or or maybe if he was a one and done, like the narrative about him would be completely different. Like the narrative of Jet Howard's like, wow, he's so smart, right? His dad played his pedigree, right? And they expected that to like cover up all the mistakes that he makes. Jet Howard is like a legit shot maker. Like he can flat out shoot the basketball. He can shoot it off the dribble. He can shoot it off the catch. But like he does nothing else. And like the mistakes he made last year, and Michigan fans kind of caught on to it by the end. Like he had multiple times where he missed box outs on free throws and gave up layups. Like, how does that happen? Right? It's one thing, right? A fresh mistake. But you're the son of an NBA player and the son of an of a college coach. Like, like how do those things happen? So like there's some mentality. Box out sucks, number one. That's true. Box- and your dad's the coach, and you're in in theory, you know, one of the best players. So he 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 doesn't have a lot of leverage over you. You're not boxing out. I never boxed out. I never got any rebounds either. But um, are you a Taylor Hendricks guy? Talk about meteoric rise. Um, I think he's he's fine. Like. I, I'm not excited about drafting him. I would feel I would be less excited to draft him than Cam Whitmore. I'd be less excited to draft him than Jarris Walker. But I think at you know he just so easily fits the archetype, and I think his upside is a great deal higher than like the next tier of those big wing slash forwards in this draft. Like I think his upside is just so much higher than like you know Omax or. You know, like guys in that tier, the guys who could go like 17 to 20. So I think it makes sense that he's going to be a top 10 pick, but I wouldn't want to go top five with him. I just think it's a little far, a little far away for me. I'm very conflicted on on Omax. Obviously, I've watched a ton of Marquette. I probably, probably should have watched more of Central Florida to see more uh, Taylor Hendricks, but I watched like insane amount of Marquette last year and, and the, the a year year prior. Um. He's a guy, he's obviously very good. He's someone I think you miss more when he's gone than you appreciate him more when he's there. Yeah. Right? Like, if you were to, if, like, he came back to Marquette, I would have said he's the fourth best player on the team. Right or wrong, that's, that's, that's what, what I would have said. And then he's gone. It's like, oh, my God, Marquette, screw. They, they need Omax back. Who's, who's going to guard these wings? He's he's better off the bounce than Arthur Kaluma, definitely. He is an okay shooter. He's a huge. He's super long, and his defense is awesome. But like Marquette got crushed on the glass of him before, and he he plays in five two. So he's kind of like he's not a good enough shooter to be like your. You know, a a a, a fifth starter uh, on like a good team, right? Like, y- you want a better shooter playing next to like Kevin Durant and De- and Devin Booker and those guys. But like, I guess he could be Robert Covington. So I'm very, I'm very conflicted. So the one thing for me with Omax, and I've tried to avoid doing this, like I was kind of. I mean, I don't want to toot my own horn here because like. 
I think it's stupid. Like I think it's stupid to do what like, everyone tries to do. Like, oh, who was first? But like, I, I do kind of feel like I was like, the first person, like in the mainstream world, to say, yeah, like Omax is an NBA player. Like, That's fair. I think I would. I, I was in on him last year because he was playing the three and and he was a four. No, no, you you have long been an Omax in on him, supporter. but yeah, just an NBA. But I right I I, I, see that I tweeted on January third, which I think was the St. John's game maybe. It's time to start talking about Omax prospects. NBA prospects is really racist game in the second year. Shooting it with so much confidence, switchable defender, can attack closeouts. Maybe the most underrated player in the Big East. Like, I think my head in my head I was still like, yeah, like he's an NBA prospect. Is like maybe a guy you give a guarantee to. And you get him to come out at 45, right? Maybe better than a two-way, right? And then he plays well at the combine. It's like, oh, maybe he's the first round pick. And I was like, okay, maybe, yeah, sure, whatever. Like 28, 29, cool. And now it's like 18, 19, 20. Like that feels a great little, right. That feels a little high to me, right? And, and and in that range, like he's probably safer than a lot of these options. Like he's like like Omax or Colby Jones. That's a very interesting question. I think I'm, I'm going to go Kobe Jones. I think he's more versatile offensively. I think he's a better creator. I think he's probably a better shooter, too. I think I would agree with that. Mostly. Omax or Bryce Sensabaugh? I'm going Omax because Sensabaugh profiles to be a bench player, and, and, and he doesn't guard. But he can score. Right, but how— what kind of runway is there for like a tenth man who just scores on the play defense? You know, like that's a very limited role. Um, continuing our way down the board, but yeah, Omax going like top twenty potentially is pretty wild. Another guy like that is Brandon Podziemski, who, like, another kind of quote-unquote draft Twitter win, although they haven't actually played the games yet, so let's watch. Like, he was a guy that, like, people kind of earlier were like, this guy actually is pretty good. Like, you know, maybe maybe, maybe he could, like, be an NBA player. And I was like, oh, I don't know. Like, he couldn't get on the floor at Illinois. And his growth has just continued to be impressive. And it seems like now that he's a green room, like, he's close to a first-round lock. I think his floor is probably around, like, 25. The Kings are at 24. I believe they have some interest in, in Mr. Podziemski. It wouldn't be surprising if he goes there, especially if Chris Murray's already off the board at that point. So I don't know where you stand on pods. I just thought, like, he was a nice kind of connective tissue player when I saw him at the combine. Like, you were kind of – I was kind of concerned, like, okay, he's playing point guard at Santa Clara. Like, how does that how does that translate to, a high like, a higher-level game? Um, can, he, can he be a ball handler in the NBA? I don't think he can be, but, like, can he be, like, that nominal ball handler like a George Hill and just do everything else? Not, like, the same player as George Hill. He's pretty different. But just Could he be, like, Tyler Johnson? Yeah, maybe. I think Tyler Johnson was a better scorer. Well, the, the uh, thing with the Podzienski, if uh, you remember, he was a late stock riser. He had, like, this monster senior year, and then it was like, oh, he, he, he's going to go to Kentucky. And then it was like, no, he's going to Illinois. And you figure, okay, 
we we always want to keep keep tabs on the late stock riser. And I mean, he was just buried at, at Illinois. You know, he he didn't get any chance at all. Luke Goody was ahead of him. Melendez was ahead of him. Right. Well, the problem, for, Clara, the, the problem for Pods was he was basically pigeonholed just to being a catch and shoot guy at Illinois, and he was smaller than the but, other yeah. freshmen and way less versatile defensively. Right. Because who? So who would have been their guards? That was an Iowa, was it, or was it? No, that was Plummer and Trent Frazier. Uh, yeah, and two. I mean, Frazier, awesome defender. You know, right, great guys play. were really good players. Plummer is like an elite, elite shooter. So yeah, he was he was screwed there. And Podziemski uh, never looked like overly confident with the ball. They were also dealing with the Curbelo thing all year. Like it was just a weird season. But yeah, he goes to Santa Clara, and that's like, ah, oh, you know, that's that's a good get. Um. You know, that that that'll be someone to watch, and then he just explodes. I remember watching Torch uh, DePaul, I think, in that Bahamas tournament early season. Um, but in terms of the NBA, yeah, I, he he has good size for a combo guard. You know, he he can shoot and score. I, I, he's kind of like the. The fringe first-round version of Kobe Bufkin, right? To a degree, yeah. I think Bufkin's a lot more explosive, but yeah. Right. I mean, I, I also think in this draft, I just don't, I don't, I don't see a lot of separation. I don't know where the exact line is, but I think like you kind of get to a point where, and I think this is true in every draft to a certain extent, but I think in this draft in particular, like the gap between like 20 and 40 is just not that huge. Right, like I, I'm personally probably more of a believer in like a Bryce Sensabaugh, and maybe a little bit less of a believer in, you know, some of the other some of the other guys. But like, is there a significant difference in terms of like actual like talent, or or in terms of like potential NBA projection between like Derek Whitehead, Maxwell Lewis, Pods, Sensabaugh? Like, I don't think the chances of them being successful is that different. Like if you told me you were drafting Julian Phillips at 22, I'd be like, that's a reach for me, but I don't think it's crazy. If you told me you were drafting Omax at 22 or 37, I wouldn't think it's crazy. If you told yep. me you're drafting Jalen Wilson at 22 or 37, I you know, it wouldn't be crazy type thing. No, I can, I can see that. I mean, how about Chameleon BMX? They had two first-round picks in back-to-back years. If Max Lewis goes first, which I don't think he will, but yes, oh, he's a falling off. But they had the Marshawn. Probably going to be like first ten picks in the second. They had what three players in total, and two of them were first round picks, and they were like very blah recruits. Well, not blah recruits, but I think Bochamp was like top sixty, and Maxwell Lewis I think wasn't even top one hundred. Wasn't Maxwell Lewis like going to go to New Mexico State, or was that someone else? I'm not sure. Well, I think they took a chameleon BMX guy. I can't remember who was. Max Lewis briefly, or if it was, I think it was another guy. It was like a I bigger, bigger bodied like forward. I don't, I, I don't. This was like the peak. It. Like, where are they finding these scholarships? But I mean, the Chameleon BNX trainer was like, "We're gonna end the NCA." Like, I, I know the formula to train these guys, and they're gonna get in the NBA. And they, they like ran out of money, and they closed up shop or something. 
Um, and two of the three are in the NBA. That, that, that's insane. That is so, shouts to Chameleon. Um, just wanted to point out one other guy that I'm like very high on, and that's Noah Clowney. I like. He seems to be kind of polarizing to people. I just don't think it's that complicated. He's young. He's long. He's gonna shoot, and he contributes to winning in a lot of ways like to me it's like just not it's not that big that, that it's not that serious like he's an nba player it's just philosophical of like when do you want to pull the trigger on a backup center and a young one that's so he, yeah i think he's gonna play the wing in the nba maybe like a four a four three or four hmm. he, he he is a big I, I don't think he's a three i think i think he's a four or five there. I mean, we're we're gonna have to wait a couple of years to find out. That's that that's the problem. Where it's probably gonna be the second team he's on. He's gonna be salary filler in a trade or something, and the second team is where he actually cracks the rotation. Um, so then it's like, what what really is the value of drafting those guys? But I mean, you, I guess you could have said the same thing about Walker Kessler last year. I know a lot of people thought that that was a reach when the Wolves took him. And he was like the, what the second or third best rookie in the whole NBA. So, um, one one guy who I wanted to mention was Jordan Hawkins. Yes, he is like the number one guy running off screens. That is the hardest skill to find. A guy who can like shoot off movement at, at a high level. He's got great size. He's a good athlete. He doesn't do anything else right now. But like that should be enough for me to. You know, every team needs guys like that. But it seems like people are like, he, he's just a one-trick pony. Oh, he, you know, he's he's not worth a lottery pick. But I get Grady Dick is like a year younger, but Hawkins is definitely a better shooter. He's a better shooter. I do I do really buy the concerns about the other parts of his game. I think he's getting penalized a little bit because... The Heat got Duncan Robinson and Max Struess undrafted. But just because they were undrafted doesn't mean that they should be undrafted, and it doesn't mean that you can find undrafted guys like that often. And he's a much better athlete than both those guys. So. Yeah, like, Hawkins tools-wise seems like a guy who should be able to do more than just shoot the NBA. But, yeah, and like... I, I was listening to the Field of 68 mock, and they're like, yeah, he has no chance of ever doing doing anything off the off the bounce. And I'm like, are we sure about that? He couldn't do a shot fake and a one dribble pull-up or a, you know, sack a closeout and take three dribbles and dunk it? I don't, I don't know. But it seems like people are, are, are relatively down on, on, on uh, Hawkins. Yes. Whereas with Grady Dick, I mean, I feel okay about Dick. He does like, more. He has more of a Does more. And, like, I felt like consistently he impacted the game, even when the shot wasn't falling. Like, I remember, like, he fouled out of the Kansas State game at Kansas State where, you know, that was – that game was kind of a mess for Kansas, and they lost it. It was poor storm, whatever. That was kind of the first, first real, like, uh-oh, you know, K-State is actually legit. But I just remember, like, he was in – like, he shot one for eight from three, and he fouled out. And I, I came away just like, wow, he had a really good game. And it was because he had 
16 points. He went to the line eight times. He had seven rebounds. He had two blocks and four steals. And he guarded, you know, really, he, he guarded dudes all day. But they didn't hide beats. So I'm in on that. I think my favorite shooter in the draft actually is neither of those guys. It's Seth Lundy. Okay. I'm a big believer in Seth Lundy. As a three-man? Yeah, like a, a straight wing. Who can, kind of like livers? I mean, he's big. Like, he, he's, he's only 6'4", but he's a 6'10 wingspan. He's thick, and he shoots the piss out of the basketball. Like, he is an elite of the elite shooter. With his side, with, with his ability to shoot it off the mounts, off the catch, like he made some tough, tough shots at Penn State and took a tough shot diet and still was at 40% on super high volume. And then he went to the combine and was at eight for 11 in the scrimmages. Like that dude has a strap. That's that's an interesting pull. Uh, on your field of 68 question though, you, you went Hawkins, right? Did I? I know I have Hawkins as the best shooter in the draft, but my favorite prospect is still Lundy. Gotcha. And my, I, I, my best shooters in the draft ranked would be just like full best shooters: Hawkins, Dick, Miller, Lundy, and then Jet Howard. I guess Leonard Miller had a great year in the G League as well. He's very productive, but like when you watch him play, you still don't know that he. It doesn't feel like he knows what he's doing. I haven't watched him play since high school when Providence was trying to get him. But um, And then I think probably my my last draft thought. It was, a, I think, a really good move for Dylan Mitchell to withdraw because he's definitely not as good of a prospect as Julian Phillips. Agreed. Jordan Walsh or Andre Jackson, and like, are like, are we sure that all three of those guys are gonna? I mean, not not even including Mitchell, but like, are are we sure that everyone's gonna take a a flyer on those three guys? Like, none of them can shoot really. They all kind of do the same thing. Are there three teams willing to take take that risk in the first round? Mm. I don't think in the first, but early in the second. I think my favorite of the three is probably Jordan Walsh. I think he has the best shooting potential of the three. He's like he's big. He can really guard. He's um, really big. Three positions. He he gets down in the stance. You know he. I I think he's an easier fit than Andre Jackson. I, I think Andre just does more throughout the game than Walsh does. Is there anything else draft-related that we have not touched on? I was just going to say big picture. Maybe maybe it's me. But it feels very... like. Because this is now year two of NIL really impacting things for the draft. Because technically it was in place for 2021, but I don't think anyone really knew what it was or like how to use it. This is 
it feels noticeably different in terms of the number of like guys who are leaving that just have no shot or like, like what are they doing decisions? Right. Like, like the Jared Harpers of the world. I remember when the NIL started being a thing, we circled him as like the type of player that college basketball can't lose. Right. Yeah. Kofi is a good example, but Kofi was like, is a true like dinosaur. Like Jared Harper is a really good college player. He's not like an all American. He's just a really good player. And he left to basically be like a fringe draft choice who the like, it was always going to be uphill, but like maybe he had a chance of making the league. And it feels like, yes, college basketball has saved like a Terrence Shannon and a Trey Alexander, I guess that they may not have kept before, or maybe they kept a smaller percentage. But it feels like a lot of the like, the guys that were just like kind of backbreaking hits to the sport, right? Like who were going, you know, fringe, you know, they were fringe draft picks. Like, like, let's look at the 2019 NBA draft. Melo Trimble was a big one like that. Like, he's he's like a very good college player. He's not, like, that good, but he had, like, no chance of being drafted in, in elite. So, in the second round of that draft, some guys that got picked that left early. Jalen Hands. Oof. Um, I believe Terrence Mann left early. I'm not sure. Talon Horton Tucker left early. He was a one and done. And he went 46th. And now he's balling out on the Jazz. Nice nice big contract. And then some like notable undrafted. Like I and I'm trying and not all these guys am I gonna recall leaving early. But here we go. Yeah, this is good. I can sort it by class. This is helpful. Shout out to Real GM. Guys guys who left early who were good players. Charles Matthews. He got hurt, too. In the draft process. Kai Bowman. Jared Harper. Amir Coffey. Who actually, I believe, is in the league now. Yes, yes. Tyus Battle left early. A year early. Diedrich Lawson left a year early that year. Shamori Pons. Lindell Wigington. O'Shea Brissett, he turned into an NBA player. Um, uh, Wigington's in the NBA, too. Lugans Dort made the NBA. Right, like okay. Some of these guys did make it, but there were a lot of guys who left who didn't have to go. Yeah, I, and that, it anecdotally feels like we have fewer of those. And I, I remember at the time... Gavoni even tweeted about that with the Mar- Martin Crumple. He's like, yeah, this guy's leaving, but like, if he could just get paid, Creighton would have their starting center back. Yeah, so the NIL is definitely doing work. It's definitely getting our guys back. Um, even guys who were, when they said that, that they were out of college, you're kind of like, what? Like Justin Powell? Justin Powell has like a legit chance of making the NBA. It's just he's probably not gonna get drafted, but like yeah. guard who can play one and two, can shoot it, great size. I think Gavoni has him in like the seventies on his board. So yeah, the, there were not a ton of like, oh my God, what is this guy thinking? Terrence Mann was out of eligibility for what it's worth. Yeah. But like here are a few guys like Isaiah Roby left early. Kyle Guy this- left early. Jordan Bone left early. 
Roby's still kicking around, I think. Yes. Um, if you want to just switch back to college for a second, we have a few things we can talk about. I need a little list here. Um, so, so Kentucky, we mentioned the Aaron Bradshaw thing. Um, they get two freshmen last week. They got Jordan Burks from OTE who put up monster scoring numbers. They get Joey Hart, former Central Florida commit, who I didn't realize that Central Florida was sitting on this gold mine with uh, Joey Hart, but he's off to Kentucky now, or I doubt he'll play. The best ability is availability. That's right. So they only have two bigs still. They, they figure they'll probably get something surreal, but um, he visited Providence in, like, early April, and then no one heard anything from him until, like, last week when he visited Kentucky. Uh, so he's not in any rush, it seems like. You figure you get him and then get, like, a power forward transfer, maybe get Paul Mulcahy, and then the big the big domino is if you can get Antonio Reeves back. Uh, again, I, I'm, I'm not sure where Reeves would go if he leaves Kentucky. I saw some people speculating maybe Michigan or something, but at that point, just stay at Kentucky. Um, but that's that's where Kentucky stands today. Yes. Things are still very much in flux for them. Okay, next, speaking of Michigan, Namari Burnett, Rostein tweeted he's going to graduate in August, early August, so they'll have their starting student. two guard. An elite student, I guess, Namari Burnett is. All, all of his trans, all, all of his credits, I guess, transferred to Michigan, or maybe because he graduates, it's more, more lenient yeah, or whatever. Graduate. It's more so that he needed the Texas Tech credits to transfer to Alabama. And famously, Terrence Shannon's Texas Tech credits did not transfer to Michigan, right? So, Correct. Um, I guess Mr. Burnett did, did a little better. Um, I had my the starting three. With Doug and Llewellyn starting. Together. Llewellyn instead of Terrence Williams. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm out on Terrence. Terrence is done. He's he's still sticking around. He 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 plays a lot. Um. Uh, Baylor. There was some like hints that Jalen Bridges was going to go to Australia, but I guess they worked out their NIL or whatever. He'll be their starting power forward and maybe second best player, maybe even best player next year. Yeah, I mean, they all of a sudden started recruiting all these fours, and then they seemed to back off on all the fours. So you kind of see where this is going. But it makes sense, as you said. I mean, he's very inconsistent. Like, he's just not an everyday guy yet. But, like, he's talented. He's big. And they're older now in the backcourt, which helps. Because I think he's a guy that you need to set up. He's not going to create for himself. So now that you have Ray J and Jaden Nunn, like, they actually have a lot of creation on this team. Between Ray J, Jaden Nunn, Miro Little, Langston Love, even like Jacoby Walters are a good self-creator. Like there's a lot of like shot creation on this team, and Bridges can focus on hitting corner threes and defending. And lastly, we had two high major teams taking a swing on a bench big. Seton Hall takes Sajrak and Ganga. I I don't know if I said this in the podcast or not, but. I was telling Kevin, I was telling my brain, Seton Hall needs, needs to take a swing on an athletic big. I was like, either get Nganga or Adrian Diong. They get Nganga. He's a nice three-headed monster with, with Bediaco and Elijah Hutchins Everett. 
Um, did you hear? Uh, did you hear what Shaheen said today? He was like, interviewed about his roster. Yeah, they read the article. Yeah. He's like, they're all they're all injured, and I'm but I'm quietly <laughs> optimistic we won't suck. He's like, we are injured again, but we we could definitely shoot it better. I guess. Poor Shaheen is just miserable. I know. <laughs> uh, Kadari Richmond and Dre Davis were just cleared, I think, like today. Um, he said Jaquan Sanders has been playing really well. And then he implied that guys still need to graduate, which I think would be for Betty, or, or I guess Marcus Watson. I guess Betty Ako still could have to graduate. This is his first time transfer, so the. the that that doesn't hinge on his eligibility, but maybe he wants Watson, to. it could be even like Dylan Adai Wusu's been three years. He could be like kicking trying to finish up. Yeah. I don't know. And then with only one spot left, Shaheen did say he wants to add two players. So uh yeah, yeah. we'll see who gets the run and the stick. They they do not have the NIL to uh to spend a fourteenth no. I think I think probably he's just adding one player. He's not adding two. I think that was probably like a misspeak or something. But, um, and then Washington adds Wilhelm Breidenbach, former, I believe, at least top 150 recruit. He was well-regarded. Was was supposed to be a stretch five, but all these stretch fives, especially bench stretch fives, don't actually make the shots. Um, and I guess, what, he's the backup center until Kepnang gets back, and then he'll barely play? Or? He could be the backup four to Moses Wood, too. Or Keon Brooks, you mean? Well, I've got Keon at the three. Oh, and, and, and what are the four? Gotcha. It's looked like, I mean, first of all, I actually respect Washington looked like it had a really weak bench at one point, and it's late, it made late ads with Nate Calmese and Wilhelm Breidenbach. There's no guarantee either of those guys are any good, but those, those seem like reasonable gambles. Yeah, and they have one spot left, and they're going after Paul Mulcahy. Which would if be great. Got, does Mulcahy start over Wheeler or Yates? I would imagine he starts over Wood, and then you slide Brooks back to the four. Has to be the thought process. It's interesting. It's also just weird. Like Paul Mulcahy's like, ah, it's not about NIL. I want to be the point guard. And then his first visit is Washington, which has a point guard and has a lot of NIL. Yeah. <laughs> and it's as far away from home as you could possibly be. He's from Jersey, right? Yes. Bound. And he's also considering Gonzaga. Um, he's also considering Notre Dame, which, I mean, Notre, Notre Dame, I, I think Sneaky has the worst power roster, power six roster. It would be a complete waste to be this Notre Dame. It'd also be funny. Like, I don't know. I, I don't want to speak ill of, of the kid. Um like academically, I'm not saying I'm not saying he's like a bad student or whatever, but like I remember it being a thing. Like he was gonna commit to Northwestern and then couldn't get in. Okay. Out yeah, out of high school. Yeah. And Northwestern standards are like not that crazy for high school basketball. It's not Stanford. Stanford, like there's legitimately like two kids in the entire high major basketball that they can get into school that they don't have. <laughs> they got Jared Vineman somehow. They did. <laughs> Somehow it's like it's like legitimately like it's literally because of like whatever major he chose and like which grad program, I guess, from what I was told. The value of my degree is yes, Providence increasing. There you go. But I mean, Notre Dame, I mean, obviously, it, if they add Paul Mulcahy, he's, a, he's their best player. 
Does he average like 15, 5, and 5 if he goes there? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. He kind of should then. They're like, they, Micah would be crazy if he ever subbed Paul Mulcahy out of the game. Like, if, if they got Paul Mulcahy, they could finally sit Braden Shrewsbury. And they would be Marcus Burton, Paul Mulcahy, Julian Roper, Tay Davis, and Keba Jai. With Kerry Booth off the bench. That would I, be know, I know that you're not a Kerry Booth guy, but he is a top 50 recruit, and he is one, one of the few, like, popping guys on here. Like, they're, if, if they don't throw, is he starting over Jai, who started at Penn State, and is he starting over Tay Davis? Uh, well, no, I think Davis, Davis would play the three. Oh, I guess you could then bench Braden Shrewsbury in this case in my current depth chart. Yeah. That's awfully big, though, for for Mr. Shrewsbury. Well, wasn't the whole Penn State thing just kind of like a product of who was on the roster? Yeah, no, no, no. He, yeah, he yeah. doesn't want to be super small, which I thought was actually funny. Tobin Anderson said that to me the other day, too, when we were on Field 68. People were like, yeah, because we were small this year at FDU, everyone thinks that I like only like small guards and I don't like bigs and like when I was recruiting centers and people were like, why is he recruiting a center? And I was like, no, no, no. I always liked size. I just got the Fairleigh Dickinson job in like May and it's an NEC school trying to get bigs in May and there was no bigs available. So we just got the best guards we could get. And play is, that kind of, is that kind of insane that Mike is going to put this roster on the court? Like this, this roster is so bad. This is this is going to be Jerome Tang 2.0. Like they're going to win the ACC now. And like Tay 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 Davis is going to average like 15 and seven. And your man Roper is going to average like 12 and three or something. And and they're going to beat out Duke for the ACC championship. It's the only possible scenario now that I've. Shit on the roster for three months straight. That's all I had. Alrighty, folks. We're off to the get through draft week. Carving out towards July. The offseason continues. We'll see you next week.